This is Eric Luton, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time, to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person, or even support us financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn. So I've had many seasons as a teacher of the gospel, and I've had different metaphors in different seasons that I go to. They're sort of my go-to metaphors. And I probably have certain go-to metaphors now where you guys hear them being brought up every Sunday, maybe. I, I don't know. I'm not always fully aware of the ones that are stuck in my turnstile at, at present. But I used to oftentimes use the Egypt wilderness promised land picture. It's not my metaphor. It's like the Bible itself unpacked. It is a picture of the Christian life too, even though it's a story in the Old Testament. You have the enslavement in Egypt, which is like a picture of enslavement to sin. And then you have a deliverance from that, a salvation, a Passover lamb that is sacrificed. And the people put their hope in it, put it on their door, on their uh, their, their doorposts, and there is a deliverance from this power that has once controlled them, and they see the supernatural grace of God, and they enter into this new season. But it's a transitionary season of proving. And they were called not to be freed from Egypt to go into the wilderness and to stay in the wilderness, but that is a pass-through channel unto something greater. God delivered them out of Egypt to bring them into the land of promise. And yet, Many today, just like the, the Israelites back then, get stuck in this partial version of salvation where we have deliverance, yes. We have been set free, yes. We have it all figured out at a certain degree, but we've never entered into the strength and the power of the Christian life. And we have a tendency to go in circles in this territory that the Bible refers to as the wilderness or the desert, even though I don't know if desert is the proper term for it, but that's the way we oftentimes would see it. And so that fits with my title, uh, too, which is Forsaking Those Desert Sandals. We have a life that sometimes can justify its mediocrity. Like modern Christianity, I've oftentimes defined it as Christianity stuck in the wilderness, it's not that it hasn't been set free. I'm not going to doubt that those Christians that are singing songs uh, today uh, in, in churches around the world haven't been set free, do not genuinely believe in Jesus Christ. It's that they have not followed through always, mainly because of a lack of discipleship, into something greater. And so when you are in the wilderness, you want to make the most of it because you could grumble, and that's what some of us do. We grumble in the wilderness, but some of us try and make the best of it. It's like, if this is what we have, well, then let's like have sandcastle building tournaments. Let's rock climb in the, in the wilderness. You know, there's things you could do. There's craggy rocks out there, right? And so you turn it into some kind of adventure sport to try and whip up some enthusiasm for this rather miserable, dull thing, and that's the, the church I grew up around. Where it's just like, let's just be honest, this isn't that good of an experience known as Christianity. I mean, we can try and whoop and holler about it and, you know, flag wave, but it actually isn't that fun. And so the world is having all the fun out there. Meanwhile, we're stuck in this thing known as Christianity. And I used to bemoan that all growing up, but I just wished 
that I could have grown up pagan and had all the fun and then somehow encountered Christ in my later years before I died and then end up with heaven in the end but have been able to at least live while I was here. Okay, now I read some of your thoughts uh, in that one because that is a very common human perspective when you have grown up in wilderness Christianity. God didn't intend us to stay in the wilderness. The wilderness is miserable on purpose. It is not meant to be a delight. It is meant to be rather hot and balmy. I don't know if it's balmy in a desert. Hot and miserable. How about that? That's better than balmy because I don't know. Here in Colorado, it's been balmy lately, but that's, that's odd. So it's meant to be a flow through, a, a pass through. You're supposed to be in agony in that wilderness, craving something more. And some of you know what it's like to crave something more, but maybe you didn't keep craving. Maybe you finally just accepted. And that's what the enemy's in the business of doing. Just like, come on, just accept where you're at. Just accept that there's nothing more. The great ploy with Eric Ludi. I mean, I, I, if I could bottle it up and say, this is what was served to me when I was growing up and I was in that stirred up state where it's just like, I think God has more than this wilderness for me. I think, according to scripture, I should have this peace that passes understanding. I should have a joy that is full. I should have love for my enemies. I should be living supernaturally with victory over sin, according to scripture. And then people sort of pat me on the shoulder. It's like, oh, you poor thing. You actually are, are lost in some reverie, some imaginative version of Christianity. You just need to accept that Christianity isn't that big of a deal. And no, no one said that in those words, but that was the message that came across. It's like, Eric, just accept defeat. And here, a key moment in my life, lady standing right here, I still remember I was in a church, she was standing right here, and there was a glass window behind her, sort of the door, side entry to the church, and I had said, I believe God intends me to have joy and peace in my life that they are a part of my life. They're a fruit of the Spirit. They're meant to showcase that God is doing something in my life. And she put her hand on my shoulder and says, Eric, just accept that Christianity is chaos. It doesn't work like that. And my statement, key defining moment of my life, I refuse to accept that. But I didn't have anyone supporting this. Eric, keep going. There is more. But that's this sort of message. I want to remind all of us as the church living in a modern age to not get stuck in positions or in circular living in the wilderness when God has a desire to bring us onward and upward. Yet when he brings us forward, we have to say goodbye to previous things. And there's the title, Forsaking Those Desert Sandals. There's nothing wrong with those desert sandals. Those desert sandals are actually fairly impressive. Deuteronomy 29.5, God speaking, I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you and your sandals, sandal has not worn out on your foot. That's some pretty impressive sandals, guys. Now think about that. Your sandal has not worn out on your foot for 40 years. I walk all day long right? And I'm not walking on hot sand. And my shoes wear out faster than most people's on earth. When I'm in a semester and I'm pacing like all day long, 
I'll work through my dress shoes. You know, maybe uh, I'll have to go through two pair, a, you know, a training season because I, I work, I walk so much. Now, that's not on hot sand. These are just sandals, and my shoes will wear out, you know, at least two, maybe three pair a year that I'm going through. Those are just my dress shoes, right? Because I'm walking on them. Maybe they're not built for just walking all day long. I don't know. I need to talk to the dress shoe company about that. These are supernatural shoes. There's nothing wrong with these shoes. They're impressive. Isaiah 43, 16 through 19. Thus says the Lord who makes a way through the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the mighty man. Do not call to mind the former things or ponder things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. That's just a great scripture all around. I'm just going to focus on one little part of it. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Question, will you not be aware of it? Now what that leads me to think, at least, whether or not it's conclude, is that it's possible to have God doing something new in your life and you not be aware of it. And so the question is, will you not be aware of it? I am doing something new. Now, what if we were to take this personally today? Because we could look at this in a general sense, which is how this is often dished out in the church, is that God is doing a new thing in the world today. And I'm not going to doubt that, okay? That's a perfectly fine use and probably even the most appropriate use for the statement. But I believe that God does new things in our lives as well. On the individual level, in individual lives, in marriages, in families, in local churches. And the question is, behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I am absolutely convinced that God is doing a new thing in my life, in my marriage, in my family, in this ministry, and in this church. So I guess I'm sort of going along with this line, and I'd say, will you guys not be aware of it? My guess is if God's doing something new in so many facets of my life that it is possible that he's doing something new in different facets of your life. And so the question for all of us this morning is, will we not be aware of it? And if we are aware that he's doing a new thing, it actually changes our posture and our position towards it. If you know God is doing something new, then you actually prepare yourself to let go of something previous. We are overhauling the lake house next door and doing something new in the lake house. Now, since I know I'm doing something new in the lake house, it's, I've psychologically already accepted that everything is going to look different in there, Right? Now, there's a few people, that, like Ellerslie alum, that come visiting, and they have not prepared themselves for this something new. And they walk into the lake house, and they see that big hearth that went from floor to ceiling, gorgeous hearth, that is just sort of the iconic picture of Ellerslie when you walk into the lake house, and it's completely gone. And they weren't prepared for the something new, and we've had a few people choke up and tears streaming down faces. It's like, Eric, what have you done? And you see, I've, I was prepared for this something new. I am aware of the something new that is taking place, so I have already given up that first season of Ellerslie history. I gave it up. I let it go because I believe this next season is even greater. 
But to have this next season, there's a few things we're going to need to do around here. And so my position and my posture is a readiness to move forward, but also a readiness to give up that which is behind, which I'm referring to as desert sandals. Exodus 3, 4 through 5. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Now here we have sandals again. Now some of you have heard me talk about this. It's in a somewhat similar context too is these sandals seem to be a picture of something symbolically in Scripture. Now, I think I can understand why God is choosing the sandal as a symbol, because a shoe is a symbol of where you're going. It's how you get there. It's the way in which you travel. And so what we see is Moses, after 40 years are completed. So it says he's in the wilderness for 40 years. So here we have this desert, this wilderness. And we have 40 years completed, And on the first day of the 41st year, Moses is going to be encountering God in a bush that is full of fire. And this is the statement God makes. Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. Now, I'm going to look at this a little differently than the way we normally do. Because the way we normally look, and it's correct, by the way, is the reason Moses is removing his sandals is because he's on holy ground. And that's true. But he's also removing his sandals after a desert season, and he is about to enter into an entirely new thing. And you're going to notice that removal of sandals and a new thing seem to go together in Scripture. Strange, yes. But there's something about the end of a season and then the removal of sandals. It's like your, your feet need to be re-shod. You need new shoes for this new season. So 40 years are complete. The Lord meets his man. His man removes his sandals. So the desert could have a lot of different meanings to us. There's just a few. The place of training, the place of waiting, the place of readying, the place of sanctifying. I think the last one probably throughout Scripture is maybe the best way of of saying it because we're going to be in the desert quite a bit in the Old Testament. We're going to have our seasons there. And you know, even Jesus is going to go to this place, and he's going to spend 40 days in this wilderness, and he is going to be tested. I mean, we have all sorts of different things that are going to be associated with this place. Joshua 5, 6 through 15. For the sons of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, that is the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not listen to the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord had sworn that he would not let them see the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flown with milk and honey. Their children, whom he raised up in their place, Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them along the way. Now when they had finished circumcising all the nation, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of this place is called Gilgal to this day. While the sons of Israel camped at Gilgal, they observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month in the desert plains of Jericho. On the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land, so that the sons of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate some of the yield of the land of Canaan during that year. 
Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? He said, No. How's that for an answer? No. Rather, I indeed come now as captain of the host of the Lord. Whew. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What is my Lord to say to his servant? The captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Hmm. Boy, we have a parallel situation going on here. I don't know if you're picking up on it. I'm trying my best to lift it out of the text so you're seeing it. Forty years are complete. The Lord meets his man. His man removes his sandals. Now think about what's happening in this scene. You have a system that has been built over these last 40 years that have been refining a people. It has been purging out old and removing an entire generation, technically. That's one way of describing purging out old and removing flesh, if you will. And then we have a circumcision. We have a celebration of Passover afresh, a reminding of truly why they're here in the first place. And then we have them eat of a new food. <laughs> They've been eating manna for 40 years. And suddenly they get new food. And what ceases? Something old that was supernatural is going to end. Now, we, we know that their sandals have not worn out. Their clothes have not worn out. But don't you get the idea that now that is going to change? Because he's being asked to remove those very sandals. Now, I know the context is because the place where he's standing is holy. But you're going to see that parallel each time. It's time for something new. Now, this has been the message of my entire last eight months, but I could even say beyond that because I've been anticipating even these last eight months of remodel. But isn't it fascinating, even the term remodel? And I've brought it up multiple times over these past eight months because my life is going through a remodel season in every regard. And I don't think God wastes remodel seasons. And everything that I'm seeing externally here on the campus, which has been rather dramatic, is what it feels like in my own life. And I have embraced that, even though there have been moments where I've wished I didn't carve into the lake house and we didn't start this thing because my, life, my last eight months would have been a lot easier. If I had just, just said, okay, what we've had in the past and up to this point is just fine. Yeah, the buildings are falling apart, but you know what? Students are still satisfied when they come. It's okay. Let's just keep going with dilapidated buildings. It's not that big of a deal. My life would be easier. Wilderness thinking right there. It's time to forsake those old desert sandals. When you come to that bush and you meet your God and God says, remove that old thing. Remove what you've been walking in in this previous season. It's hard, it's strange because you've become somewhat attached. Even though you've been longing for a land that flows with milk and honey, you've gotten comfortable in the wilderness. This is your, your routine is built around this. You know, there's enemies in the land of promise. I don't know if you've ever counted them. There were 31 hostile empires that had giants in them, and they had walled cities that reached up to the heavens. Can you come up with some good justifications of why it might be a good idea just to stay in the wilderness and keep your old desert sandals on? But God is bringing us forward. Will you not be aware of it? 
And if you're aware of it, you don't begrudge when he asks you to remove your shoes. But God, these are my supernatural shoes. I've walked in these for 40 years and they haven't worn out. I don't want to risk taking them off and, you know, having them start to break down in mildew. You know, this is like special stuff I have here. Eric, remove those old sandals. I want to shod your feet with something greater. Isaiah 43, 19, behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? Deuteronomy 3, 21 through 22. Moses commanded Joshua at that time, saying, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings, so the Lord shall do to all the kingdoms into which you are about to cross. Do not fear them, for the Lord your God is the one fighting for you. We have a tendency to hesitate on the threshold of change. Now, my life has been just full of change. And I have embraced change probably more aggressively at times than even I should because I've witnessed how God works through my readiness to do it differently or to move into a new thing. And that has made it very uncomfortable for people around me at times, starting with my staff at Ellerslie, because I am ready to change if God needs us to. That's just the disposition and the posture I have. However, look at this. When we get to a point of transition, where in this picture you have Moses who is the old, and I would say he's the old desert sandal. This is what Israel has been wearing. They've been wearing Moses as their leader. They've been wearing Moses as their way of getting things done. And Moses is an amazing man. Truly remarkable man, but he's a picture of the law, the first And Joshua is a picture, ironically, the same name as Jesus, Yeshua, that Israel needs to start wearing. Israel needs to put on something new. But in that transition, there is a pause. And listen to Moses' commission. So the Lord shall do to all the kingdoms into which you are about to cross. Do not fear them, for the Lord your God is the one fighting for you. As you step forward, you move with God. And God will do the working. Deuteronomy 3, 23 through 28, I also pleaded with the Lord at that time saying, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Let me, I pray, cross over and see the fair land that is beyond the Jordan, that good hill country in Lebanon. That's sandals talking right there. See, it's the old systems that you've had that you're afraid to let go of. Now, I don't know that I can speak exactly for you, of what it is. There could be a transition point in your life where you need to leave. Something that has been very familiar and God's saying, follow me. Take my hand. Let me lead you forward. It could be a job that it just pays well and this idea that God is leading you into doesn't. It's it's a classic uh, tension for us uh, believers. You know, the the world pays a lot better, it seems, than God. (laughs) Don't be misled by that, though. God outpays the world you know, multiple fold, hundreds of fold, okay? It's just that he pays in different things. He, doesn't, he pays with grace. He doesn't always pay with money because he knows that money doesn't always do us well. It does not mean that God is a cheapskate, just, you know, just putting that on the side. However, it may be a transition out of something that you deem strong into something that appears to be weaker. I don't know what your transition may be. But you need to have the confidence that 
as you go, God will go before you. Do not fear. Now your old sandals, speaking of Moses in this situation, really want to go into the new situation with you. Okay, can I go with you, says Moses. Can, can I go over there and taste the land too? And it's a good desire. But Moses is symbolic of that which needs to be put off in this situation. He's a picture of the law. And the law cannot deliver us. It cannot save us. It cannot bring us into the land flowing with milk and honey. The law served its purpose, and that was to awaken us to our need of Joshua, Yeshua, in our case, Jesus. But when we see Jesus, the law has to stay behind. But the Lord was angry with me on your account. This is uh, Moses speaking. It would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough, speak to me no more of this matter. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes to the west and north and south and east and see it with your eyes, for you shall not cross over this Jordan. But charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go across at the head of this people and he will give them as an inheritance the land which you will see. An incredible picture of the gospel right there. Moses or the law cannot lead the people of Israel into the land of promise. The law is ill-equipped and unable. It served a purpose, but that purpose was to lead us to Joshua, or in our case, Jesus. So Moses is told to go to Pisgah, sort of a funny, ugly word. And it's a, it's a spot or a hill that looks over the, the land of promise. So he can see it, but he can't enter in. This is where we need to leave our old sandals behind, okay? In other words, the old sandals have stared longingly. They brought us here. There's nothing wrong with what they've done. They were a good season in our life, a season of strength. There's a lot of good supernatural stories that came with those sandals on. Just like I could say in the lake house, you know how many great supernatural stories I've had over this past 13 years with that hearth in there? A whole bunch. Some of you could share in some of those stories too. You know many great stories took place around that hearth. And yet, that hearth needs to be bulldozed. Some of you are like, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, that, that was the best idea, Eric. And yet, what we want to be doing in that building is different. And that hearth cannot remain. And so Pisgah has a fascinating definition. It means a fragment or only a small part. You see, what you've had with those old desert sandals is just a fragment or a small part of what God's bringing you into. And he wants to bring you into more. But to get the more, you have to give up the shoes. You have to take off that which you've been walking in. You have to leave it behind. You have to discard it. Yes, it was supernatural. And yes, you have some great memories in it. But can you let go of those now? Can you say, leave that behind and move forward into what is ahead? So the Bible has a reference for that. And that's putting off the old man. The old clothing, the old sandals. Now in the big picture, that's talking about Adam, our first life. Our life of sin, our life of bondage, and we must put it off. But in, ironically, in every micro step forward, we have another putting off. We have layers of removing. Sort of like that onion where you peel a layer off. It's like, I already did that. And then God says, could we peel another layer off? And so there's a constant removing of old. We remove the shackles from Egypt. Now it's time to remove the sandals. And some of them aren't even bad things that we're removing. They're just a previous season. There's something that we did previously that was obedience, but now there's a new step that he's moving us into. 
So in the New Testament, the entirety of the gospel is found in this illustration, is put off the old man or the old clothing, the old sandals. So I always put the old over here, and I put the new over here. So over here means to my left, and over here, because if you're getting this via podcast, you're like over here and over here. But the new man is to the right, or to my right, and the old man is to the left. We are wearing Adam. This is how we're born. And we, as a result, are considered in Adam. We then share in the repercussions of Adam's work. When Adam was in the Garden of Eden, technically, genetically speaking, we were in Adam. So when Adam sinned, that sin came upon all of us that were in his gene pool. And so when he sinned, we all sinned. We share in Adam's work. And therefore, we also share in his destiny, which is what? Eternal separation from God or hell. Adam is destined in the wrong direction. Jesus is called the last Adam. He's the second man. And what Paul is going to tell us to do is to put off the old, to put off Adam and to put on the new, to actually wear Jesus Christ. Just as we wore Adam, and as a result, we shared in his work and the condemnation associated with it, now we put on Christ and we share in his work and the righteousness that is associated with it. And that's the gospel. It's a putting off and a putting on. Colossians 3.9, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Put on the new man, the new clothing, the new sandals. So here's Paul again in Colossians 3, 9 through 10. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For as in Adam, remember Adam, all die. Even so, in Christ, all shall be made alive. So in the big picture of Christianity, this is what we do. We put off the old and we put on the new. And that's how we go from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the dear son. That's the transformation right there. It's called faith. That faith is trusting God's word to say, I need him as my covering. I need him as my robe of righteousness. Apart from Christ, I am doomed. I do not want to keep my atomness on me. I do not want to function in my first man state. I want to be rescued. I want to become a new creation in Christ Jesus. New clothing for a new thing. So I'm going to take that bigger picture of the gospel, which is you know, putting off Adam and putting on Christ, and say that that actually functions in sort of a lowercase fashion throughout our life. Where what is over here, like Moses could be considered over here, and then Joshua over to the right, right? Well, Moses is a good thing. It doesn't always have to be a bad thing. It's just a first thing. It's the thing previous but God is progressing us and moving us forward. He is constantly in the business of progressing us forward, and that's called sanctification. He doesn't just get us comfortable and say, pat us on the head and say, there, stay there for 80 years. He is always moving us, and that's part of how he keeps us dependent on him. So new clothing for a new thing, and that's exactly how the gospel works. This is a new thing he's brought us into. It's called Christianity. And so we need new clothing. What's that new clothing? Jesus. He's even the, it's called armor. 
uh, in Ephesians 6, put on the armor of God. It's clothing for a new work. So Romans 13, 14 says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4, 24 says, put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 6, 11 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Ephesians 6, 15 says, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, you take off the old and you put on the new, and that even involves new sandals, or you could call them combat boots here. Uh, this is part of armor, right? And so this is, for a new thing, we need new shoes. So put off Moses. What does Moses symbolize here? The wandering in the wilderness, life under the law of sin and death. You see, when you are over here in Adam, or in this first position, or as I'm calling it, in Moses, you're under the law of sin and death. Sin, the law of sin and death is simple. It says, if you sin, you die. So the only solution to handle the law of sin and death is you have to live perfectly without sin. So I want you to go and try that for a week, and we can discuss it next week of how that worked. You see, no matter how much you esteem sinlessness, you are incapable of living that on your own. And so in Moses, all you can realize is that you are a sinner. That's what the law is. It's a gift to you to expose your sinfulness, that you can't do this. It's actually a good thing, and it's a supernatural working. And there's a whole bunch of people out there that have not actually encountered Moses, that do not know the law of God and have not had their sin exposed. But having your sin exposed is a wonderful, beautiful, supernatural thing, but it can't save you. It can lead you to the one who can save you. So you want to put this off, guys. You want to put off the first so that you can be clothed in the second. Put on Joshua. What would Joshua symbolize? The taking of the promise, life empowered by the Holy Spirit. It is putting on Jesus, Yeshua. Same name, right? Isn't that a cool concept in Scripture? Is it the same name? He's the second man. Moses and then Joshua. And Moses can't take them into the land of promise. Joshua can take them into the land of promise. Well, that sounds rather profound, and Joshua is going to be the one that takes on the promise. It's a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. The old desert sandals are not bad. And that's why this can be a little confusing. Some of this, like I'm talking about enslavement in Egypt as the first, bad. However, there's a lot of things that we need to put off that fall into this category, maybe even today, that are not bad or evil in and of themselves. It's just that they're an impediment if we don't put them off. They immediately become a weight that besets us if we don't remove them because they're not a part of the next step. And if we don't agree with God and move forward in the new thing, then this will actually hinder us if we hold on to it. And so we have to let it go. Will you, are you not aware that God is doing a new thing? Because if you are, you recognize that certain things have to go. If God is calling you to be a missionary in Myanmar, well, you have a great job here in the States. But guess what? You're going to have to put two and two together somewhere along the line. Do you not realize that he's doing a new thing with you? Which means you're going to have to let go of the job here in the States that you have such an affinity for. Imagine that you were called as a missionary to Myanmar. And you recognize that that means you would actually move to Myanmar. 
And then you begin to look around your church of all these people that you know and love, and you're thinking, maybe all of us could be called to Myanmar. And then you begin to realize that not everyone in this church is likely called to Myanmar, which means you're going to have to let go of a lot of close relationships in your life so that you can move to Myanmar. Now, this is just how Christianity works, guys. I'm just trying to get, make it as practical as I can. When you recognize a new thing, there are certain things you have to let go of. And it just comes with the package, and it's a good thing to do, even though it can be painful. And it can be very hard. You don't want to hold on to old desert sandals. It is always good to move in agreement with the Spirit of God forward. You have walked supernaturally in those shoes. See, that's why it's hard to give them up. It's like, wow, I have so many great memories with this. I mean, God did such a good thing in my life here. To leave it behind just seems almost like disrespectful. And yet it's disrespectful not to heed God and to follow him. But you need to shod your feet with even greater shoes for this next step of the journey. I like that line. I want you to read it again. But you need to shod your feet with even greater shoes for this next step of the journey. That means that whenever you give something up, you need to recognize God has given you something greater. It's an upgrade package, even if in the natural realm, everyone looks at it as a downgrade in your life. For instance, if your job went from being a high-paid business executive to being a missionary in Myanmar, that doesn't look very good on paper because everyone around you is going to be going, so how, how are you going to be supported there? I mean, are you just using your savings? I mean, what, what are you doing here? And then imagine how awkward it is, yeah, I have to really like raise support. It's like, well, how embarrassing is that? That sounds like a downgrade when in actuality it's a grace upgrade. You don't need grace for your finances when you're living uh, as your high-paid business executive. But you do need grace if you're living as a <coughs> hand-to-mouth missionary in Myanmar. You need grace, and grace is an upgrade. Anytime God moves you into a position where you need more grace, it's a greater deal for your soul. I know some of you like, need a little more convincing on that one. You're like, I don't know about that one, Eric. That one doesn't, that sounds a little shady. Not shady, kingdom principle. When you have need of God's intervention, because God is leading you to have that need, just follow me on this, that's because God wants to make up that need in a supernatural way. That's just exciting stuff. That's where all the great stories of Christianity come from, right there. So I call this leveling up in grace. I've had multiple situations like this, and I've, I've been trying to gain a language for it in my life because I don't always see the new thing coming in my life, but I've been here, and you know, I have my, for those getting this via podcast, my hands you know, up near my chin level, and I, I'm here at a, a challenging level of Christianity. I have responsibilities that would crush most people, and yet what do I have? I have grace for it. So to me, it's a delight. I'm having a great time in life. I, I have grace and everything's steady. But then I run into a greater challenge than I have grace for. Uh, well, uh, And I run into this, and what immediately begins to spurt out of my life is frustration, super sensitivity, you know, where I'm ultra sensitive to little things happening around me, and I just, my, my temper is a bit short. You see, I'm running into something that demands a leveling up is what I'm calling it. 
And that's not a bad thing. You see, God's doing a new thing and I'm not aware of it. And so I'm struggling with the grace I've always had and recognizing I need more of it. Well, God knows I need more of it, but he's needing me to recognize I need more of it. God has the supply just waiting. But what he wants me to do is recognize it so that I go to him instead of my own pockets to meet the demand. It's like, Eric, what's going on there? God, I'm really struggling. It's like the weights are heavier than they've always been. I don't know why this is so hard for me. Well, Eric, (laughs) you need greater grace. And you would just think that God would just pour it out on me without me having to be cognizant of the fact that there's a leveling up. And yet God is saying, I'm doing a new thing. Are you going to be aware of it? And when he's doing a new thing, he really desires us to be aware of it. So sometimes we run into that wall of growth and we, this is classic human, we dig in our own pockets to try and muscle our way through that. Because obviously God has given us everything he has to give, right? And so the rest must be up to me. When in actuality, God has brought you to a place where without him, you couldn't do it. So what do you need? You need God to make up the difference. And he is ready to do that. You see, this is a new thing that he is doing. And when a new thing comes, you get more grace. Now you can function up here. Now it's funny because you start to get comfortable up here now. Now you're way up here, right? This is head level, you know, top of Eric's head level. This is, this is living strong. And what's going to happen? And God's going to say, yeah, we're going up here now. It's like, God, can we just stay here? Why? Now, if, follow me, guys. Head level grace. I mean, that's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. I mean, few people on earth are living with head level grace, right? But you could have above head level grace. When God's doing a new thing, why wouldn't you want that? And some of you are gulping going, oh, what does that mean? There's always grace for it. That's the amazing thing about the kingdom of heaven is he will supply everything you need. His grace is sufficient for every challenge you will ever face. You just need to walk into that new thing and you need to let go of the old thing it will become an entrapment for your soul if you don't let it go. If God's calling you onward, relinquish the previous. It was a wonderful season. It was a beautiful thing that God did. But now he wants to do something even more beautiful. Follow him. If any of you have ever gone from singleness to marriage, if you've ever gone from no children to having children, these are seasons of transition that you can't turn back. When you get married, you give up something. Now, here's the argument. Some people might argue that singleness is better, but those people don't truly understand God marriage, okay? They don't, even though they mockingly will make comments about it, right? About marriage, you know, and talk about the old ball and chain, those types of comments. Godly marriage is spectacular, and it is superior to singleness. What's not superior to singleness is an ungodly marriage, (laughs) So I would agree with that. But if God is upgrading you and and getting you married, well, guess what? He's going to give you grace for that. But guess what? You also have to relinquish something. I don't want to call them a desert sandal because that makes singleness sound bad, right? And some of you are already struggling with your singleness. You don't need to hear that it's a desert sandal. You're like, I'd be happy to get rid of this, God. But you have to relinquish singleness. And singleness is has a lot of freedom to it. It is a very special season, which you could reflect back on and go, wow, yeah, I, I mean, I just stay up all night. I didn't have to call someone and tell them where I was. Well, what is this? You know, I, I was free back then. You could think that. But you're actually moving into a situation which needs more grace and has 
a heavenly deportment to it. It's pretty extraordinary. You go from no kids to kids. And there were moments where I wanted to stick Hudson back in Leslie's womb. Because the level of challenge that suddenly came upon my life was immense. And I wasn't getting any sleep. And it's just like, praise God for this little child. You know, they were as cute as all get out. But wow, my life was suddenly more challenging. What did I need? I needed greater grace. Would I ever want to go back to not having kids? No way. You see, what you are getting maybe is a greater challenge, but guess what? You're getting greater grace. And children are strengthening the hand of a mighty man, which, which means they are supplying you with something. They are like arrows for a warrior. This is something special that is being given. The same thing is true with every move forward. You can't stick it back in the womb, and if you tried to, your, your world isn't working too well. You move forward with confidence and you give up a previous season. You give up a previous thing and you will never regret it. Deuteronomy 3, 23 through 28. And this is slightly altered to make a point and I have that in parentheses there. Let me, I pray, cross over and see the fair land that is beyond the Jordan, that good hill country in Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me and I have on account of my firstborn state and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough, speak to me no more of this matter but charge Joshua. We have our grumble and our complaints of what we want to have. God, could I take my shoes with me into this new land? And he says, you know what? Enough of this. I want you to follow Jesus. Give up this first. You can look at it from Pisgah. Your sandals, these sandals cannot enter in. I want Jesus to take you forward. 400 years complete, the Lord becomes the man. This man asks us to remove our sandals so he can wash our feet and shod them with new shoes. I mean, it's a profound picture, guys. John 13, 3 through 5, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel in which he was girded. Now, you can't notice that without seeing a similar parallel. 400 years has passed. Jesus becomes the man. The very one that is speaking from bushes and the very one that is encountering Joshua has now become flesh and is dwelling amongst us. The very one, the word of God himself, is here. And what does he do? Remove your shoes. That's what he says. Remove your shoes. And what is he preparing them for? For a new thing. What's about to happen? Yeah, the new thing. He's about to die on the cross. He's about to shed his blood, rise from the dead, be ascended to the right hand, pour out his Holy Spirit. The church is about to be born. He is preparing his people for a new thing here, right here. Remove those shoes. And what is he going to do? He's going to wash those feet so that he can shod them with the gospel of peace. Isaiah 43, 19, Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? 2 Corinthians 5, 17, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
Revelation 21.5, then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. He's very good at this. Now, you could look at it as all things, like new heavens and earth, and you would be correct. But you take the smallest things in our life. You take those little moments or those little relationships or those little financial issues or those little sin patterns we have, and he says, I want to make that new. Right there. We're like, God, I thought you were going to make all the new heavens and earth. Why are you dealing with such small, granular stuff in me? God will deal with the big stuff, but he also deals with the very small stuff. And so only you and your relationship with God probably knows what those things are. I could hazard guesses at some of your lives and say, I bet God's doing this new thing in you, and I guess he's, I bet he's doing this. I don't know, though. I can only deal with my own life and see that he is desiring to make it new. A new thing and a new thing. So one's all caps. God does a new thing in this earth a lot. And there's many movements of grace throughout history. When he went from Moses to Joshua and Joshua took that people in and destroyed those, those that opposed in the land of Canaan. New thing. We have an entirely new governmental system being set up. We have an entirely new leader. We have an entirely new way that God is going to begin to interact with his people. Oh, yeah. And he's going to do that throughout history. And even throughout the history of the church, he's had movements of grace where he changes things. He alters the systems, and boy, do we need one now. But those are the capital N, capital T, new things. But he also has a lot of micro versions of that. And that's taking place in our lives as individuals, in our marriages, in our families, in our local churches, where he does a new thing. And ironically, if we were to compare notes in here, we'd say, you know what, we have strong relationships with God in here. You know, we've got some good habit patterns in here. We've got some good strong marriages in here. We've got some good families producing great offspring, strong leaders for the future. And we have a very healthy church. Why would we put off those sandals? Uh, because God wants to level us up. Because God wants to move us forward. I want more grace here. And the only way to get more grace is we have to take off the old and move forward into the new. But it does not mean the old was bad. If God is wanting us to move forward as a body, let's move. Which might mean get, leaving things behind that we have enjoyed or cherished in the past. That's okay. Because where he's taken us, there's more grace. Sandals. The way we've walked up until today. Number two, the supernatural way of yesterday. So that doesn't mean it's bad. It's just the supernatural way of yesterday. Three, the previous manner in which something was done. I know that's the way you've always done it, but could we change that now? And you could do it a different way? Number four, that which needs to be removed for fresh washing. Number five, that which needs to be removed for fresh and something's... Uh, fresh, fresh something, uh, and the word is missing. Uh, so... You guys, that's just a fill-in-the-blank thing for all of you. Uh, just an encouragement for all of you to allow the Spirit of God to put in a word there. One of the things that we're going to see with, jo with Joshua is they are going to celebrate the Passover and they're going to circumcise. Circumcision, I'm not going to go into what it is, but if you understand what I mean, it is a removal of the flesh. 
It is a removal of something that you can't, pick, you can't get a better picture of the flesh, right there. And for many of us, that's exactly what happens at that leveling up stage, is God will freshly do a deep dive into our life and say, how about this goes? It's like, God, I've lived with that for all these years you've never pointed it out. Yeah, but now I am. Could we remove that? God will oftentimes sharpen me at a time of leveling up. In fact, I don't know that he's ever not done that. Where I will go through my life. I don't even need to be the one going through my life, like some catalog. He goes through my life and it's just like, Eric, and he just sort of shines a light on it. I'm like, okay. It's not a bad thing, but it's something that could be distracting me. It's something that could be taking a portion of my energies, portion of my mind that isn't leading to more of him, isn't causing me to be more effective as a minister of the gospel. Can we let that go? Can we take that off? Oh, and yet that's where the grace comes in. If you let go of that, then God has room to move. Are we willing to remove our sandals? Is it possible that the Lord is doing a new thing in our time, in our life? It is, pos- is it possible that he is desiring to move us out of old traditions and into new realities? Isaiah 43, 19. I don't know if you've ever heard this before. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? Joshua 5, 6 through 15. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What is my Lord to say to his servant? The captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet. For the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So there's your commission. For us to recognize that we too are standing before a burning bush. We too are standing before the captain of the host. Jesus Christ is his name. And he is saying, remove your sandals. I want to do a new thing. And so what do we do? And Joshua did so. And Eric did so. And you put in your name, did so. Father, give us grace to let go. Give us grace to let go of previous seasons, of previous memories, of things that we enjoyed. Give us grace to let go of comfort zones, of things that we perceive as easy or easier. And give us grace to move forward. Give us grace to obey. Give us grace to say yes. Lord, we are prone to be very human in our reasoning and want to take an old system into a new land. But Lord, we thank you for your ways, which are higher than ours. And we thank you that you will not allow our old sandals to come in. That you will not allow our old clothing to come in. But that you say, put it off. And then you give us better clothing. Lord, we desire that better clothing. We desire those better shoes, and we desire to walk with grace. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ.
This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.